go to the word of the Lord. I want to read and also base my meditation on the gospel according to John chapter 4. It's a well-known passage, Jesus and the Samaritan woman. And I want us to pick up where we left off last Sunday regarding this idea of a, a life that is oriented around sharing the gospel. And uh, what are some of the, you know, we, we discussed what are some of the requisites, what are some of the conditions to be a fruitful disciple, somebody who is effective in sharing the gospel. We saw that there were certain elements that were necessary in order for us to be effective evangelists, to, to share the Word of God in a way that is anointed and that is uh, effective. And, you know, nobody exemplified these conditions as uh, Jesus himself did. So this is a case study, if you will. The, the, the first part last Sunday was sort of the theory, the um, elements that made it up in abstract, in a way. And uh, we talked about uh, uh, this being the center of our life and requiring anointing, prayer, being alert to opportunities, uh, not being intimidated, and all of these different elements. Um, that make up for, for that, that effective life. Well, let, let's see how Jesus uh, put that into practice. There's a, there's a noise. Is that my, my, okay, let me just make sure that I'm okay here. Hopefully that'll be a little bit better. And if not, I'll just pick up the, the handful held mic. We want to see how Jesus did it. You know, we want to look at uh, Jesus' uh, personal evangelism, the way that he carried out this ministry of evangelism, his own uh, personal way of doing evangelism. And because he was not just a, a proclaimer of the word in, to, through crowds, he also did it in a personal way. So there in chapter 4 of John, it says that Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, verse 3. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, he had to go through Samaria. There's a reason why it says he had to go through Samaria. Jews did not like to go through Samaria. It exemplified everything that they detested about Gentiles. They were a mixed race. They uh, worshipped a god that they did not feel was the genuine god. So there was a lot of controversy between Jews and Samaritans. And yet, uh, Jesus, he went through Samaria. He didn't avoid going there. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. And it was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw him with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Notice Jesus speaking in 
metaphors and speaking, using the metaphor of water to exemplify who he is and, and this woman's uh, situation at that moment. He's using that to wrap her and to bring her into a, an evangelistic conversation, but she doesn't understand that. She's taking it kind of literally. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. In the interest of time, let me jump over. Now, I'll get back to that in a moment when we continue um, developing this sermon. Verse 21, woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. For you Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is Spirit and His worshipers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. When He comes, He will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Praise the Lord. So again, this morning, I'm going to go through a little PowerPoint presentation as I did the last Sunday because I want us to really have an opportunity to, you know, engage in these uh, concepts that I'm sharing with you. And so I want to speak about Jesus' personal evangelism because I believe that that is the most effective way of doing evangelism for the church. We can do evangelism in mass. As Jesus himself did, he spoke to great the crowds who followed him. We see the uh, uh, apostles preaching to great congregations of people. Actually, the first sermon that was preached under the new dispensation of the church, thousands of people came uh, to the Lord. So there was that element of uh, mass evangelism. And there were other elements of uh, the disciples going out into the uh, villages when Jesus sent them off. Um, to do another kind of evangelism out in the neighborhoods and in the city and so on and so forth. But there was another kind of evangelism which we see here, which is that evangelism that takes place when we share the gospel with friends, with uh, acquaintances, with people that we run into on a bus or a train, um, with colleagues at work, uh, with the f different kinds of associations. I may have mentioned family already. But, you know, there are these different opportunities that open up for us. And I really believe that that is the most effective way of sharing the gospel. I think that is how truly how congregations grow. All the other methods of, uh, you know, giving tracts and so on and so forth, they're wonderful. And I always have a little bit of a trouble when, I, when people kind of want to make it one thing. And they say, oh, this thing about crusades and about mass evangelism, that doesn't work. We should not engage it. We're over that society. Uh, has gone beyond that. I believe that we can use all kinds of methods. We can call people to Christ in the context of a service as well as we should often as well. And we can do all these different kinds. I believe that effective, an effectively evangelist, uh, uh, evangelistic church uh, is one that engages in all sorts of evangelism. So we see Jesus here doing what he did best, really, which was to do evangelism one-on-one. -on -one. And so we see these different qualities that uh, characterized, that distinguished his style, which we should also emulate and imitate. 
The first thing that I see is that Jesus had a passion for souls. He came to do one thing, and he knew that, which was to seek that which was lost. He himself said that. And remember that I said earlier that part of the effectiveness of an evangelistic church comes from knowing what it is that we have been called for. What is the main thing that we have been called for? Now, a church does a whole lot of different things as we have done this morning during the service. But really, everything that we do, all of our programs, all of our training, all of our discipleship classes, all of our activities should be oriented to one thing, which is to bring people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Even yesterday when we had this Congress of Women, which was uh, oriented to women and to edifying and blessing women, there was also a very clear evangelistic thrust as well. So uh, during the whole course of the day, we saw people coming to the Lord. There was an altar call. Tens of women came to Christ yesterday, many of them with tears. And they were accompanied by the women who had invited them to come. Now, the main uh, purpose of that service was not necessarily evangelistic, but it was woven into everything that we were doing. Why? Because it was a great opportunity. Women may not come to a regular service or men, but they will come when they're invited to a special activity of the church. And so that's, that's one way of bringing them into the kingdom. They're, they're open, they're receptive, and uh, they, they see the church in, in its beauty and its organization and, so, and winsomeness, and uh, they come to the Lord. Uh, so we try to weave evangelism into everything that we do, and we should, and you should as well. Jesus knew my goal, my coming to earth was to rescue souls, and the uh, focus of his vision was uh, part of that ethos that he carried. And we, as, as people of God, we should know one thing, which is that we are called to save souls. And you and I need to adopt that as our main passion, because that's going to give us trust. I think a lot of people are not effective doing evangelism because they don't, um, they don't, they, they don't have that sense of, wow, this is my calling. This is the urgency that I have been given. So remember, your passion should be to win souls wherever you are. A second thing, and let's, let's keep it, Marlene, just for the, the first one for a while. And thank you for putting ahead the other one. That, that's good. Um, the second thing that I see here in, in his evangelism style was that one single soul was as important to him as a multitude. Again, you see him um, doing evangelism in all kinds of ways. But you know, some of the most touching moments of Jesus' ministry is when he engages one-on-one. When he encounters, for example, the woman with the flow of blood. Now, he could have let her go when she was healed. And he said, okay, wonderful. You know, this woman was healed through my ministry. But he stopped her. And he wanted to have a moment with her. And he spoke to her. He ministered to her. Zacchaeus is a perfect example. This man had hunger for the Lord. And he climbs to a tree to see Jesus just passing by. He's a sinner. He's a corrupt politician. And he doesn't expect Jesus to invite himself into his life. He just wanted to get a glance at him, console himself by looking at a holy man of God. So Jesus sees him, invites himself into his home, and many of his friends were saved. And he became an evangelist right then and there by inviting his fellow uh, colleagues. And so we see Jesus stopping this multitude that was following him, to minister to that single man and uh, changing his schedule, so to speak, to go to his house and to minister to him. So he wasn't just interested in the big crowds. 
He was also interested in the one-on-one. -on -one. And you, some of the most touching moments that reveal the heart of Christ are those moments when he has interaction and dialogue with one single individual. And we should have that same appreciation for the single person uh, who needs the Lord. The, the, the third slide says that numbers were not his primary concern. He, he wasn't interested in just, you know, checking off a convert. You know, many people have this um, sense of, uh, you know, it's like, a, it's like a hobby, getting people uh, saved to commit to the Lord. And, you know, we should be careful about the uh, spirit with which we do evangelism. It's not just to kind of uh, give ourselves a, a charge because, uh, you know, people are coming to the Lord through our life. We should be very careful of why we evangelize. It is because we supposedly have a love for souls. We, have a, we, we care for those individuals. We saw last Sunday about the need to remind ourselves, especially ourselves, that lostness is an actual eternal state. Hell, to use that, that, that very unpleasant word, is a, is a necessary element. You know, and, and it's not something that should figure prominently in the way we present the gospel, but we should be aware that we are saving people from eternal lostness and that Jesus Christ is the only person, the only intermediary between God and man, and that only through Christ can we be saved and have eternal life. And that should compel us to want to um, seek people out and, and to, you know, be passionate for that single individual and let's not be concerned about how many or, or you know, let's do it in a way that is servant-oriented, that is led by love to save others. This morning I was reading a passage, which I've read probably dozens and dozens of times, when Jesus was transfigured in the Mount of Transfiguration. It says that uh, Elijah and uh, Moses were speaking to him. And I said, wow. You know, the fa where, where were Elijah and Moses before they come to speak with Jesus? They were in heaven. They were in some zone which we cannot identify specifically, but their, their, their lives have been preserved for centuries. And here they are speaking to Jesus now, one-on-one. -on -one. And so that reminds us that there is, there is an eternal life. There is a life after death, and our personhood goes somewhere. And, and that is there. And these two men were recalled in a way from where they were to speak with the transfigured Christ. And that reminded me, yes, you know, the, it, eternal life is a reality. Why were Elijah and Moses there? Because they had, under their, under God's dealings with humanity at that point, they did God's will. Their life was preserved. They could be in the heavenly domain but not everybody can do that. And I think when we, when we are aware of that, we um, uh, gain a sense of urgency. Each soul matters. It doesn't matter who it is. Uh, numbers are not our concern. It's that individual that we need to save for eternal life. And we should cultivate that sense of um, urgency to minister. Now, there's another element, which is that, that no one was unimportant to Jesus. All souls mattered equally to him. And that's an important element. Just keep that there, uh, Marlene, please. Um, 
You know, uh, this is a corollary to the other things that I have mentioned. This woman was a sinner, a, an inveterate, to use a Sunday word. She, she had practiced sin all her life. She was a sensual woman. She has, she has had five men and a sixth one to whom she's not married either. In that kind of culture, I think that would have been quite exceptional and reprehensible. Some commentators of the Bible say that she was there at that hour, at noon, alone, because nobody wanted to deal with her, and because it was a good time for her to go and grab water from the well. She didn't have to deal with uh, other people in the community or anything like that, uh, with other women who probably saw her as, hey, I don't want you near my husband. Um, so uh, Jesus doesn't, um, doesn't say, ah, oh, it's a woman. She's a Samaritan. She's a sinner. Three disqualifiers. That woman was important to him because she was a soul, a living, eternal soul. Remember, it doesn't matter how people are dressed. It doesn't matter what their economic condition is. It doesn't matter how they smell, how they look. There is an eternal soul precious to God in there that will go either to hell or to heaven for eternity. Our outward appearance and our, our, our outward circumstances, the, 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 the way our life unfolds is purely cosmetic in a way. The only essence that matters is what is that soul that will be preserved for eternity. At some point, you will shed your body. Your achievements in this world will become totally irrelevant and unimportant. And the only thing that will matter will, matter will be what did you do with Jesus? How did you relate to Jesus Christ? Did you acknowledge him as your Lord and Savior or did you reject him? And so we should hone into that soul. In a way, take away their clothing. Take away their flesh. See a, a, a throbbing, precious, eternal soul, a spirit that needs to be rescued for the Lord. And so that will help you to minister to anyone, anyone, whatever their situation is, and see them as precious. Even children, you know, sometimes we underestimate uh, the importance of a child. I, I rejoice when children come forward. I, the, you know, there are mysteries about when, uh, when is a child responsible for his soul and so on and so forth. It doesn't really matter. What a great thing to see a child come to the Lord. Sometimes that commitment lasts for a whole lifetime. That initiates a relationship with Christ. And, uh, you know, I, I, take, I take the opportunity to plug in a little announcement regarding, you know, there, there's the children's ministry. Uh, we celebrated Friday, Hallelujah Night, or Thursday, and we had 150 kids dancing, worshiping, singing to the Lord, um, getting their faces painted and so on and so forth, celebrating Christ and his kingdom, beauty instead of death. And uh, we had a wonderful time. And I thank the Lord for those workers there that take the life of children very seriously. We have seen some of those children grow up now. They're, you know, adolescents and even older. Awana, our children's ministry, has been going on for many years. And I thank the Lord for those men and women who dedicate so much time and those parents who bring their kids to Awana. Because one single soul, whether it's in, in a, clothed in a but the body of a five-year-old or in the body of a 65-year-old or in the body of someone who is uh, drunk or whatever other situation they may find themselves in is precious to the Lord. So no one is unimportant. And this woman certainly was not. Jesus appreciated 
her value. And we, sh we should also, in order to be effective carriers of the gospel. Another element that I see in the next um, presentation, the next projection, the next slide, is he lived, Jesus lived and ministered in the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Remember that I said last Sunday that if you want to be an effective evangelist, you and I need to cultivate a life of power, a life of anointing. You know, evangelism requires uh, a, a, a life that is uh, saturated with Christ. You need to have your devotional life. I think um, being in the Word of God and in the power of God gives you the, you know, the push, the effectiveness, the urgency to speak with authority to people. It also opens opportunities to preach the gospel. It gives you discernment. It gives you a prophetic word many times. It gives you the boldness. And all of that comes from being filled with the Holy Spirit. The, the preaching of the gospel should be done in the power of the Holy Spirit. If you have things in your life that are interfering with your sense of uh, communion with God, you know, even the element of holiness, which is so, you, you would think that's so distant from being an evangelist. And by the way, the fact that your life may, need, may not be totally right with the Lord and whose is, does not prevent you from sharing what God has done in your life. Even if you're on a journey, even if you're still in process, you can still share the Word of God. Zacchaeus certainly did. This woman, you will see her later on sharing the gospel as well. So um, even we need to be in that holiness with God, that having a good relationship with God in order to speak effectively about the gospel. So do not forget your life, your devotional life, your communion with the Word of God. Many times you will need a verse to give power to something that you say to someone. And, a, and there's nothing like ministering with the Word of God when you share the gospel. You use a verse or whatever it is to give more support to what you're saying. So it's important because, you know, in this case we see Jesus speaking in the prophetic. He knows that this woman has had a, a very uh, dubious life and he speaks to her about that. He confronts her, says, you have had five husbands. Yes, and you know, the sixth one that you have right now is not your husband either. And that, look at what she does. In her primitive way of looking at the God, the fact that he prophetically speaks to her in a very specific way convinces her, wow, you are a prophet. Why do I say primitive? Because, you know, the fact that a person moves in the gifts doesn't necessarily qualify them. You know, to be a man or a woman of God. It's a good thing, yes, but, I, you know, um, it's not the only thing. Jesus himself was very skeptical of people who believed in him just because, you know, he did miracles. You know, our, our life is not oriented uniquely to miracles. There's a lot of other things that qualify a person to be a man or a woman of God. But, but um, the fact is that signs and wonders, they call people's attention to the gospel. And we should ask the Lord to give us the, the capacity to minister in the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. So we see him discerning this woman, knowing who she is even before. I think he was there because he knew that he was going to meet her there. He was full of the Holy Spirit. And, of course, he was God himself. But we should, in a minor way, in a less, uh, you know, powerful way, of course, but still quite powerful, be uh, seeking to minister in the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And that only comes by being saturated in a supernatural life and having a supernatural outlook. If you don't have that supernatural outlook that has been cultivated by communion with the principles of the kingdom of God, I think you will be hampered 
in your capacity to share the gospel effectively. So Jesus exemplified that by ministering in the power and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Another thing that we see is that Jesus took advantage of opportunities to share the gospel. Remember that I said last Sunday that God will provide all kinds of opportunities in our work life, in, in, in transportation, um, in dealings with associates uh, or people, client, potential clients, in the university, in the high school, in your building where you live, in your neighborhood. There will be all kinds of opportunities. And we spoke about that at length. God will bring opportunities to you. And, and his Holy Spirit will uh, give you all kinds, especially if you are living a life of prayer, if you are th asking the Lord, Father, give me, give me souls and give me an opportunity to share uh, the gospel with someone, and you are alert to those opportunities, and especially if you take advantage of them. Don't ever um, neglect an opportunity. I, I looked at Michael accidentally just now, and, and Michael and I had a conversation a few weeks back about how he was able to share the gospel with a woman in a restaurant. And, um, you know, with fear and trembling, because he had received a kind of a revelation about this woman that he saw often when he went to eat to that place. And uh, with fear and trembling, Michael shared the gospel with her. And, uh, you know, he could have said, oh, you know, that's just, a, that's just an accident or, you know, this dream that I had about her or this word that I received from the Lord. That was just my own thoughts. But God was opening up an opportunity there, and he took it, and he shared the gospel with her. Now, whether she proceeds to accept Christ as her Savior, she received a very clear presentation of Jesus. And uh, Michael can be uh, at peace. Now it's in her court. She has to decide what she does with that presentation of the gospel. His, his uh, responsibility, in a sense, has been fulfilled. And, you know, that, that's what we need to do. We need to take opportunities. We need to ask the Lord through our life of prayer and being alert when God, I'm sure many of us can uh, identify with God giving us opportunities in all kinds of ways, in a, sub, in a, in a, in a seat, in a plane, um, just on the street. I mean, I could give you many, many uh, instances of how God has given me opportunities, and I've, ha I've taken them, and I've never been disappointed. So he took advantage. Here's this woman. She's, she's getting water. He's right there, sitting there. His disciples have gone to get food, to eat. He's alone. This woman is just a captive audience. And he knows because he's a man of prayer in his humanity, and he's anointed, he discerns, he moves in the discernment of the Holy Spirit. Maybe he, in his power himself, has brought this woman uh, to this encounter, and so he moves in that opportunity. He takes it, and he shares the gospel. People of God, we can grieve the Holy Spirit when we have opportunities to share the gospel, and we don't take that opportunity. And that doesn't mean that you should minister out of fear. But it means that you should be aware, and I should be aware, that it is a holy responsibility. When God puts someone in our path, we need to share the gospel in some way. At least, you know, initiate a conversation. If the conversation leads to something deeper, then that's, um, that's okay. If not, you have placed a seed in their life. I think there's a lot of people in this city who would be won over to the gospel if there were more active Christians pursuing them everywhere. 
You may be the one who initiates a conversation. Later on, there may be somebody else who adds to it. Then later on, there may be somebody else who enriches their understanding. And before you know it, that person is coming to the gospel. It is a systemic thing. And I think that's what we need to do in New England. New England, for many, many decades, has not been a place where Christians practice that kind of evangelism. We should just surround people. I believe that cultures need to be created for evangelism. This nation, there was a time when everything conspired to uh, foment and stimulate um, the fear of God and the respect for the Word of God. Culture was around, was uh, founded on, on that. And I, by the way, don't get me started on a rabbit trail. There's a lot of people, well, America was never Christian. Well, America has been a predominantly Christian nation where God, the fear of God, there were times when that was very much a part of, uh, it was not a perfect nation. America has never been a perfect nation. There has never been a perfect nation. But there are nations that generically and culturally have a fear of God and cultivate a fear of God. When we lose that, we lose a lot. I prefer a culturally Christian nation than one that is ungodly, by the way, and secular and rationalistic. And uh, sometimes I think even we Christians conspire to make us unduly and unnecessarily guilty about the fact that we're not perfect. But I think when, when nations, when, when cultures uh, slowly elevate an entire culture, an, uh, a, a, an ethos, if you will, to use another word, uh, of uh, respect and love for Christ and for God, that always has a good result. And then people are open and, and more porous. I love to go to the South, for example. And again, the South is not perfect. It's got its own historical sins, of course. But, you know, my wife and I go to visit our daughter every once in a while there. And um, uh, we, we go to a restaurant, and it's amazing. People praying in the restaurant. People holding hands, praying for the Lord. I mean, in, in, a, in, a, in a very powerful way. We, we see uh, Christmas uh, things being done on the street and in public places. And I say, thank you, God, because, uh, you know, we need that. And we need to create a whole culture of um, uh, sharing the gospel. Because in that way, we surround people and we, we prepare them for receiving the gospel. So Jesus took advantage of this woman being there in that place. And he went immediately for what he needed to do. The other thing is that we see that he did not allow himself to be intimidated. Um, you know, here, here he was, a man ministering to a woman in a culture that saw these kinds of relationships and, and of encounters as suspect. He did not allow that to intimidate him. He had, a, he had a mission to fulfill. Here he was, a Jew, speaking to a Samaritan woman. There was all kinds of uh, ethnic animosity. He did not allow that. As well, And let's go to the next one, and I'll, I'll mix the two here. He did not allow social taboos or conventionalisms to prevent him from sharing the gospel. Again, what is one of the greatest obstacles to sharing the gospel in our time? Timidity, fear, fear of being rejected, fear of trespassing, fear of getting a cold or offensive or rejecting answer, fear of uh, how we will look to others and how we will feel uh, to ourselves. And the fear is one of the biggest things. And fear has been introduced in our soul here in the 21st century by culture. And I think it is partially a demonic thing, a satanic thing to prevent the gospel from coming through. And uh, it, I, there's always a barrier of fear that needs to be overcome. The thing is that the more you do this, the less fearful you become. But unless you're willing to work through your fear, 
um, you'll never get to be an effective evangelist. There are many things in the world that unless you work through discomfort, you will not get to the place where you feel natural about it. And unless you have that self-discipline to say, yes, I am somewhat threatened by this, um, and you're willing to just go ahead in faith and start seeing the sea open before you as you walk in faith, you will not get to be that effective carrier of the Word of God. We see Jesus breaking through all these different things. This woman could have uh, rejected him, but no, he, was, he, he did not allow any of these different things to interfere with his godly call to be an evangelist. There's so, so much more there, but ask yourself, how am I threatened and how am I allowing fear or timidity to prevent me from being a carrier of the gospel. And look at Jesus and his disciples and all that they had to do to become effective evangelists. Another thing that I see is that Jesus put himself at the level of the individual. He made himself accessible. He broke down barriers. Look at how he engages this woman. The first thing he says, hey, give me a, give me a drink. You know, when people make themselves vulnerable and uh, you offer them an opportunity to serve you and, and uh, to help you out, Instead of being this, uh, you know, uh, arrogant Jew who saw himself as a superior to her, he presents himself as, hey, can you do me a favor? And that immediately, you know, takes down all kinds of barriers. And I think, you know, we need to make ourselves winsome when we announce the gospel. I think there are people who, um, you know, present themselves as holier than thou. Truly, it is so. And, you know, we already have that to contend with. People do believe that Christians somehow feel superior. There's nothing like uh, presenting the gospel in a winsome, transparent, natural sort of way that enables people to see just a, a man or a woman, you know, needy of God's grace just like anybody else, able to laugh at a joke, um, presenting a gospel that is natural, that is, uh, you know, quotidian, and um, not, not getting into all these uh, big uh, arguments and, and things about, you know, just because people expect us to be like that. When you, when you show people that you're just a regular common human being seeking to love God and uh, to please Him, and that, you know, that Christian journey is a journey, and uh, you invite them to see you as that common person, you know, that speaks a common language, that is able to laugh and, and uh, share anything um, that is common to life, you know, that, that, that brings down people's defenses. And so Jesus asked her, hey, would you, can you give me a drink? And that initiates immediately a whole conversation. So don't come with a big theological terms and Christianese, all these kinds of big words and specific words that are only Christians know. Speak to them in common language. Speak in a language that is uh, accessible to them. And make yourself human. And present yourself as somebody who is simply enjoying the grace of God. And that you need the grace of God just as they need it as well. The other thing that I see is that Jesus establishes a relationship with this woman. I've already alluded to that. He, he earns her trust first. Take time to present the gospel. Don't be in a rush this past week, I had lunch at a restaurant right nearby, and a young woman there whom I have had conversation with and several of us at Lion of Judah. It's, it's good that, you know, people know Lion of Judah at the restaurant. Um, when we go to eat there, 
evidently the, the, the members of Lion of Judah who eat there have shared the gospel with people. There was another woman there sitting down at the table, and she walked up to me, and she also has been coming. I don't know if she's here this morning. If she is, I love you, and I'm so happy to have you here at the church this morning. And uh, she approached me also at the end and said, hey, uh, you're the pastor from Lion of Judah, and, and uh, she told me also that somebody from the church had invited her to come, and she's coming. And she's in process as well. But anyway, going back to this um, young woman uh, who, by the way, is not um, American, lovely uh, young lady who is uh, hungry for the Lord as well. And uh, she uh, told me about two young women who had approached her. Um, I think it was in a restaurant or something like that um, or in the street. And uh, she was put off by them. And she said, I'm sure they were part of a cult. And it sounded like it wasn't. She told me the, the church, and I think uh, you know, if it is that church, then, you know, it, it's kind of a, I have my, my questions, my doubts, respectfully, about them. But, you know, what, one thing that turned her off was that they, they immediately wanted to grab her. It was like, you know, hey, accept Christ now, or, you know, that's it. And uh, they were too, too anxious. They were too um, straightforward, too, you know, just to get to the point. And, uh, and they, at the end, they wanted her to make the, 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 the sinner's prayer. And uh, they wanted to get her phone number and, and so on and so forth. And all of that just uh, turned her off immediately. Why? Because, you know, that kind of artificial urgency is very uh, threatening to people. And I think rightfully so. You need to take time. Again, we're not in a rush. And, and um, you know, all that God may want you to do is to have an initial conversation. And if the, if the conversation leads to more, as in this case, it's the organic way. He speaks about water, and she questions him about that. And he adds another piece to intrigue her and to get her interested. And slowly the conversation gets deeper and deeper until it comes to who he is. And I think we need to do that. We need to trust the Holy Spirit. You know, we should not be in a rush or somehow feel insecure. I think that kind of rushed nature betrays a certain kind of insecurity in us. We are ministering in the Holy Spirit. God opens opportunities. God opens doors. Not us, I mean, in the sense of we breaking down the door. And so take time. Have a conversation. And then if the Lord later on leads you into a deeper, that's wonderful. But don't uh, rush everything. He, he, study how Jesus carries this woman into that moment of finally accepting him as her Lord and Savior. And so he, that's what he does. At the end of this lengthy conversation where they go into all kinds of theological things and questions that she has and so on and so forth, he finally presents himself um, as Lord and Savior. I know that I, I changed a couple of things. Can you put the next one, Marlene, please? He establishes a relationship. He used, he used terminology, images, and topics that were familiar, which is fine. Well, let's go, let's go with this. Forgive me. I, there may be a couple of changes here. Um, again, uh, yeah, this is this probably before the other ones. Jesus did not allow himself to get entangled in um, controversy or secondary topics. What I am alluding to here is when uh, she says, well, you know, our fathers, they drank from this well, and uh, it is supposed to be here that we worship God. And uh, Jesus keeps it to the point. He says, yes, that's true. But, um, you know, uh, there will come a time when those who worship the Lord will, spirit, will worship him in spirit and in truth. And those are the kinds of worshipers that he will 
seek to worship him. He doesn't get into, you know, Jews are better than um, uh, Samaritans. You know, people will try to entangle us into all kinds of theology. Well, what's the true church? I mean, there's so many churches and, um, you know, how can I know that there's only one church? And if there are so many, then why do you say that you're the only church? And, you know, uh, who... uh, who was, um, uh, did, did uh, Cain get married to his sister and why can't brothers marry, you know, all kinds of things. Space, travel, and all kinds of crazy stuff. Do not get into those kinds of things. Don't get into a sword fight with your logical concepts here and there. No, present Christ, present your testimony, what God has done in your life, for example. That's a wonderful thing. Be simple in how you um, present the, the gospel. Don't get into all the messy stuff, okay? So he did not allow himself to get entangled into, into controversy or secondary topics. The next one, please. Um, he was clear about the cost of committing to the gospel. Just quickly there, you know, don't, don't present false advertising. The gospel is costly. There are changes that people need to make in their lifestyle. They need to repent of their sins they need to change uh, the, their way of life. And I think there are godly, uh, gracious ways of communicating that. Sometimes, you know, we, all we want is just sign here. You know, that's, that's all. Um, and, and we forego all kinds of key things. No, I think it's important to let people know that there is a change of life. You know, that it calls for repentance. It calls for a turnaround. Uh, that's what conversion is all about. And uh, we just can't go quickly over things, you know, the complexities. He, he told her, you have five husbands. And implicitly he was saying, you need to repent. You also need to accept the gospel that comes through the Jews. You also need to deal with me as a representative, the representative, the intermediary of God. So he was clear about the cost of committing to the gospel. Much to be uh, presented there, but that's for the moment. I just want to finish here. The next, uh, we already said, he led slowly and organically. He presented himself clearly as Lord and Savior. That's an important thing that um, we need to um, present Christ. That's what it's all about. If you cannot do anything else, speak about Christ. Christ has a power to break uh, demonic strongholds in people's lives. Just present him. As Jesus said that it is necessary that as the serpent was lifted, so the Son of God be lifted before all men so that they might believe and be saved. I'm going to leave it there.